Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger. So welcome to episode 51 of Sleep Talk, podcast talking all things sleep, and welcome again, Moira. Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. So the topic for this month's podcast is sleeping teenagers. In Australia this month, start of February, everyone's back at school and it's often we're in the clinic, we're getting the <laughs> urgent phone call. How the heck am I going to get my teenager out of bed and to school? For, for eight o'clock or earlier. Yeah, because they've had the luxury of just, you know, letting themselves be as delayed as possible perhaps with their, with their um, habits and sleeping in. Great time to discuss this. So we'll come back to that. But Moira, time to put the pressure on. How's your preparations going for World oh, Sleep Day? Yes. Well, soon it's coming up, March 13th in Australia. Well, in fact, it's international, isn't it? It's World Sleep Day is the same day for, for all of us. And the theme this year is better sleep, better life, better planet. So that's going to be how broad, how broad can you go with that? I think it covers everything. But I love that. I think, well, the, the, the sky's the limit. It actually is going to be, we can make what we want of that in terms of you can bring in environmental issues, you can bring in mental health issues, a whole whole stuff, a whole a whole lot of stuff that we'll be focusing on. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I think we'll, once again, it's a big opportunity to get some media attention and and not just for the attention, but to, to have a platform to talk about perhaps some solutions and give people some, some relief and not trying not to catastrophize too much. It's you know, trying to just say, look, sleep's super important. Yes, that's the message. But let's be really sensible, have a really sensible approach about it. Don't get too panicky and anxious about it. So the theme for this month's podcast is sleep in teenagers. So why talk about it? So sleep problems are pretty common in teenagers. Uh, There's the stereotype that we talked about a bit in the introduction of the late sleeping teenager who can't go to sleep for hours after they've gone to bed and can't get up in the morning. But that's actually not the only sleep problem. There are lots of other sleep problems that occur commonly in teenagers. So it's not uncommon for me to see insomnia. So just not being able to switch off, particularly towards the end of secondary school, uh, when there's that pressure about exams and performance and time constraints. Uh, We also see a number of people with sleepiness or tiredness and fatigue. So despite actually adequate minutes and appropriate timing of sleep, just feeling constantly exhausted. Yeah, not able to yeah. deal with it. Often comes, doesn't it? You see people, maybe especially adults that we see, they talk about this, and often it becomes a idiopathic hypersomnia, which we can we've done a podcast on that before. People can read about that. But interestingly, nearly don't you think nearly all of them say it did come on in their teenage years? It's a very That's, common time for yeah. these excessive sleepiness mm. conditions to come on. And often not diagnosed then because no. life's busy and it's hard to. Well, not it's hard a, to diagnose too. A lot right. of people don't know much about it. And it's often, you know, teenagers tired, well, look, you're over busy. Mm. And it's not until they're in there sort of at uni and the pace might be a bit mm. slower first year of uni and then it's like, hang hang on, there's, there's a something. Yeah. Here. I often just you know, just think it's a, a mental health problem in and of itself rather than, hey, it could be a specific sleep problem. And we're both parents of teenagers. Of, of course we're perfect parents and we have, <laughs> we have perfect children, Laura. Have you had sleep problems amongst your kids? Um, not really. I think fortunately they are good sleepers, but I would say for sure when they're, I mean, like all of us, if they're a bit anxious about something, uh, yeah, it's when they will come out, so I can't sleep. You know, they come out and you think, oh, I thought you went to bed hours ago. Um, one thing that I'm pretty proud of and I'm, I just 
hope this, I really hope this can come in, keep, keep going for them, that they do not use their phones in bed. So I can't claim that as any kind of success to their sleep story mm-hmm. because I had a, we, we didn't have phones when we were teenagers and we, I slept, I've always been a good sleeper. So I think there's lots of genetic factors around, you know, being a, a good sleeper and the time of your sleep and, and just your personality factors of how much you worry and there's lots of things in that. But I think it's interesting. I know this is a discussion about teenagers, but in our household, and I can say this because my husband never listens to this podcast <laughs> and we all agree he is the worst offender for like if we're talking about screen times or, or you know, devices, you know, he, he's just a big consumer of hours and hours of screen time, more so than our teenagers are. I'm not sure. Would you say, are you guilty of that compared to your yeah, teenagers? I, I do pretty well with my device, <laughs> as in consume a lot from, mm. from my device. Mm. And yeah, our teenagers haven't had too much in the way of sleep problems. Yeah. But I like your comment about the genetic influence. So, you know, people may know I'm a early morning type. That's just where I sit. I'm always up early. And so one of my children, my daughter, Ella, she pretty much, even though she's a teenager, she's pretty much preference for being up early, early to bed. Yeah. And my son Swim squad. is a bit, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whereas my son's a bit more of the eveningness type, which is a bit more with Chris's sort of mm. sleep preference. Mm. So we can see these sleep preferences in our children that reflect our own sleep patterns. Yeah, for sure. So we've previously done an episode on some of the aspects of sleep in teenagers, and that was episode nine, and we talked about teens and screens, and we had uh, Sean Kane on, particularly talking about the effect of light and sleep. So if you're looking for the, that information on screens and light and the effect on sleep, check out that episode. Because we've previously covered that and it's really well covered, we're going to try and keep away from that in this interview with Associate Professor Margot Davey, uh, who's the Director of the Monash Children's uh, Sleep Centre, and focus a bit more on some of the psychosocial challenges around sleep in teenagers, some of the common problems she sees in clinical practice, and learn from her approach so that we might then get some practical examples of how to manage problems in teenagers. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me, David. So in the community, what are some of the challenges that teenagers face with their sleep? I think teenagers are at a, you know, I've been practising for over 20 years and I think increasingly lives are getting very busy for teenagers. I think they have the demands of school, they have the social demands, increasing sporting demands, and then I think their involvement with social media also um, eats into a lot of their time and they are very busy. And I think sleep isn't prioritised. That's a problem with adults as well, but particularly with teens. And that's in the general community. What are the things people are coming to see you with in your specialist practice? A lot of times teens will come with sleepiness or fatigue during the day and then the second most common would probably be um, difficulties falling asleep. So they're the common things that you yes. see. Yes, What are the things you reckon you should see that people aren't sending you? I suppose I, I become very disappointed and quite surprised when sometimes I see teens who say they have a sleep problem and haven't been at school for a year or two years because they can't get up in the morning. And those sort of problems are really entrenched, sometimes not really a reflection of sleep but mental health issues, and I'm really sorry I don't see those kids earlier because they're quite challenging to fix. Yeah, I agree. I I get some of those too, and sometimes I'm limited in my capacity to deal with them. Because sometimes the sleep's the thing copping the blame. Exactly it's right. Not the, the underlying thing. Exactly right. That certainly should be presenting 
earlier and I don't come I don't mind if it comes under the guise of sleep sometimes that's more acceptable for mm-hmm. teenagers and for parents to come with a medical problem rather than addressing other things because I think the way I view sleep in teens is sometimes it's a barometer of mental health functioning and I think there is quite significant depression and anxiety that's wrapped up in sleep it's sometimes hard to tease out and so it's more acceptable for some families to present they have a sleep problem can you fix this yeah, it's a good point because in adult medicine, often I've got the benefit of the natural history over many years. So I'm seeing someone in their 20s or 30s and it's more apparent that there's background depression or anxiety. Whereas for you, maybe the sleep's the canary in the coal mine. It's, yes. the, it's just the thing that's the clue yes. that there's something else. Yes, and, and definitely I think that's relevant in teens. And so trying to find out how they're functioning and connecting during the day. And as I said, teens who aren't getting to school it's almost a variant of school refusal. There are other things happening. And so trying to tackle a sleep or blame the sleep isn't going to be a good therapeutic option. So then if you're seeing someone who's coming with sleep problems, what's the sort of broad approach that you take with them? I think the first thing is to get an understanding of their patterns and how they differ from school to weekends to holidays. Often they come with a parent or caregiver, and it's also important to get the different perspectives. What um, parents are often the ones making the appointment and bringing the teens, and sometimes you have a sullen teen sitting there thinking, "This isn't a problem. This is your problem." Yeah. So I suppose it's defining the problem with the different presenting parties. Um, part of my role initially is to get an idea of their sleep patterns, but also to make sure that I'm not missing a medical. Problem. So making sure that they don't have narcolepsy, iridopathic hypersomnolence, making sure, you know, I'm not missing obstructive sleep apnea, periodic limb movements. So I certainly take that in the history. I don't necessarily do a sleep study, mm-hmm. but trying to make sure I'm not missing anything. The majority of teens that I would see who present with sleepiness or fatigue, most of them aren't getting enough sleep. And it's trying to then evaluate all their awake behaviour and their activities during the week, both social, school, sport and academic, and trying to see what we can do to help the teens deal with that. A lot of times parents are very frustrated and angry when they come to that consultation because um, they have a battle every morning trying to get the teen up and they have tremendous responsibility and burden the days just start off really badly every morning so I have very angry parents in there I often separate parents and teens Mm -hmm. to try and get different perspectives it's a bit like sometimes when you're trying to assess how sleepy someone is people's perception of things is different so say for example with sleepiness scale I'd get a teen to fill it in but I also get a parent to fill it in Mm -hmm. and it's amazing sometimes the differences so trying to take that history, get the different viewpoints and seeing whether or not they do need investigation. Certainly a lot of the teenage girls I see, a lot of them are low in iron, uh, low in vitamin D, and so it's correcting things that I can correct before embarking upon what I think is the problem. Most times it's insufficient sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, Next would be a circadian rhythm or a delayed sleep phase. I also find it helpful in the interviews to find out the sleeping patterns of the parents because sometimes you can have a parent who's been a night owl their whole life and they can't appreciate that actually those tendencies are in the teen. Parents are trying to do the right thing. They they want the child in bed asleep so they get 
good sleep so they can tackle the day. And there are some families that walk in and you can just feel that before they sit down. And I think sleep's one of those things that how do you try and do it, the harder you try and control it, the less it's going to happen. And then the parent's anxiety is transferred to the teen and it just becomes this very vicious circle. All right, so give me a tip. How, how do you manage that <laughs> that dynamic and take the heat out of it and it's less of a, a fight? You yeah. know, it's time for bed, the battle begins yeah. between parent and yeah. teen. Well, often, um, as I say, I'll get the history from both of them and then I will see the teen by themselves and then I send the teen out. A lot of times kids are going to bed too early for the time they can fall asleep and you develop this hyper-arousal response. The kid's going to go to bed. They know they're not going to fall asleep for two hours. There's a battle of the electronics. Are they there? Are they not there? Sometimes I then meet with the parents and find out how much I can intervene in that bedtime routine, making things much later because parents generally are trying to make it earlier and earlier and earlier and the problem's getting worse and worse and worse. And so for them to be told actually they're going to bed too early, we need to make it much later, but we need to have a very defined bedtime routine. I try and get them and I explain why that's important and then I'll see the teen and I'll say, right, you know, there's some good news, bad news. Your parents are happy for some of these things, but you've got to take some more responsibility. And I try and explain it to them and particularly in the mornings make them more independent and I try and get the parents stepping back. So I suppose it's a bit of a juggle giving a bit in the evenings yep. for the parents, but then the teens having to step up a little bit. And, you know, some teens do have patterns that aren't conducive to sleep and the variability from weekends to weekdays. I know you don't like that term social jet lag, yeah. but from my perspective, it's a really good tool to explain to teens why they don't feel great in the morning when they get up and the importance of that. And balancing the negotiation about electronics. You know, yes. so when does the parent cut the hand off the, the teen? And, yes. You know, how do you deal with the empty space that creates yes. in the teen that's yes. not ready for sleep? Well, I, I try and have a time where electronics are stopped and I try and get electronics out of the room but you know sometimes there are battles you can win and not win and usually I couch to the team I'm not worried about them using it it's all their friends who are up and texting and doing stuff it's not your problem it's your yeah. friends so let's let's protect that and then I try and get them to develop non-screen based activities um, you know, there are some kids who like to read. I get kids doing craft. I get, I try and get anything happening, and this is their special time. This is not homework time, particularly the VCE students. It's important they have a wind-down time and a time that they enjoy and look forward to that's a good preparation for bed. Instead of what usually happens is everybody's on screens, parents are saying it's bedtime, it's bedtime, the kids are procrastinating, it escalates, and then suddenly lights are off and you're expected to go to sleep. That's a good point. I want adults with those skills as well. <laughs> so I want adults who are comfortable with non-screen mm. sort of off-task time mm. before bed. Mm. So, yeah, thanks. If you can teach them as teenagers, I'll, I'll <laughs> I'm then trying. take, take them I'm as trying. Adults. It is interesting when I see the teens and, and they really just need tightening up, I ask them, you know, it, when they come back and things are better, I say, what, what do you think has been helpful for you? Did you find it hard? And probably nine out of ten will say that wind down routine and I, I do that all the time now. And I think the other thing is when you have kids doing sporting activities late in the evening and they come home and everybody's quickly rushing dinner, rushing this, rushing to get to bed, those kids have trouble and they're the ones that you have to say, look, so be it, you go to bed, lights are out an hour later after. But in the long term that's a much better pattern. 
So you talked about a couple of your common presentations as the phase delay and the insomnia. Let's just talk through some clinical scenarios. So you've got a teenager, trouble getting to sleep, um, parents can't get them out of bed in the morning. In the community, before coming to see a specialist, what are some things that they should try? Looking at the regularity of the patterns, I'm not obsessive and say you have to wake up at this particular time, but trying not to have too much variability. I tell my teens, you know, really at less than two hours, I say try and be up by single figures Mm -hmm. on the weekend. That gives them a little bit of control. Um, And I try and get them obviously exposed to light, doing stuff outside, doing things, not sitting inside all the time or resting. You know, people say, oh, no, I wake up at 8, but they don't get out of bed till 11 or 12. So trying to get them to do things. I think physical activity is really important Mm -hmm. and I try and encourage kids to participate in things they like. It doesn't have to be superhuman. They don't have to join a gym, but linking up with friends, going for a walk with a dog, trying to do something and, and give some structure. I think looking at eating, a lot of teens are snacking all evening and so I'll try and have them have their dinner with the family, hopefully, and then they can have a supper, but then the kitchen's shut. So trying to make sure that we're promoting all those physiological cues for as good a sleep pattern as we can. All right, so that's the pre-engaging with the healthcare (laughs) system sort of steps. So they've seen the GP, things aren't going that great, they've come to see you. Mm. What are the things you've got up your sleeve when you really need to up the ante on that? It's interesting you say the GPs have done a lot of this stuff or other people have tried it. It is interesting. I'm amazed sometimes when maybe the rules haven't been discussed enough or the physiology behind it. I don't think always people have a good grasp of how our sleep is related to our wakeful activities. And so occasionally I see people who are absolutely methodical about it and very structured and oftentimes anxiety is playing a role in that and so we you know I start to talk about that but I suppose it's delineating how much I feel as a a rhythm problem anxiety anticipation expectation what they're doing and then the normal physiology most people who I would see have prescribed themselves on the internet or the GPs have been given melatonin And I think for some people it can be incredibly helpful and particularly with the onset of puberty, we know that there is a delay in melatonin secretion and we know that the blue light for teenagers, for some reason they are more susceptible to it than than you and I are. A lot of times people have thought about that and tried the melatonin, but it's got to be done in conjunction with a a total plan. It's not just the magic tablet that's going to do it. And that's why the daytime activities, looking at naps, stopping naps, looking at regular eating, looking at activities, engaging them, all those things are just as important. Different scenario. So this one, teenager trouble switching off, develop that anxiety Mm. about going to bed, that sense of the time for sleep's coming and that adrenaline's sort of (laughs) higher and higher. Yep. So what's some simple strategies at home? I think simple strategies are looking at the time they actually do physically fall asleep, what time they're turning off the lights and making everything a lot later. I think that is definitely a strategy, looking at the wind down, looking at the screens. And I think if I'm dealing with really anxious teens, I start to explore the anxiety and what it is and other strategies they can do to control it sometimes you actually don't realize it but you're dealing with quite pervasive anxiety and it's not until you start scratching that you find out they actually have a lot of troubles during the day and I think if if I'm starting to feel that's out of my 
domain. I will involve a mental health person as well. Occasionally I will prescribe medication as well to help contain that. I think it's trying to gauge that anxiety and whether or not they're going to be able to deal with it with you giving them some strategies or whether or not how, how much you have to up the ante to control that. So we've spoken about those couple of common things. Mm. Any less common things that you get concerned about? There are primary sleep disorders such as narcolepsy and it's a most common presentation uh, in teens. And I think it's really important to make sure that you take that into consideration when you're assessing a teen who's sleepy. And it's not necessarily obvious and it, you really have to ask the questions about when they fall asleep, how much sleep they're getting and then symptoms like cataplexy which sometimes people miss or parents just think their kids are mucking around and have never thought of it as a significant symptom. Thanks a lot for those insights. Well once again a fantastic interview and really appreciate Margot's insights. She's a fabulous person. Hope you're listening, Margot. Cheerio to you. So I think that we, yeah, I think you covered you covered so much there. I think we, if people are looking for more information and want to, want to dig deeper into that, I think go to the, the Sleep Hub website and there's links there to our Teens and Screens previous episode, which was episode um, nine. And also there's a, um, a written post, a blog around if you're having trouble getting your teenagers out of bed. So have a look at that. So, Dave, what's your clinical tip for this month? So my clinical tip, which is pretty tough following Margot, who's really an expert in this area, and I really do defer yeah, uh, to her, fabulous. is when working with adolescents, I've really uh, generally found that I get the best results if I can get the adolescent on board. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And often that's hard. Yeah. And sometimes it takes sort of almost sidelining the parent, <laughs> and sort of playing a bit sort of, you know, bad guy to the parent and good guy to the adolescent to create that sort of relationship. And mm. then you've got to rebuild the relationship with the parent as well, or just even getting the parent sort of out of the room so you can talk to the adolescent directly. Yeah, yeah. But particularly with the stuff I want to do when I'm managing sleep, and people who listen to the podcast will know a lot of sleep management from my point of view is psychoeducation. Yeah, for sure. And so if I can just get a teenager or an adolescent to understand how sleep works, they're not silly. But yeah. They'll know, okay, that's what I need to do. I'm going to choose when I put mm. that into place yeah. and when I'm actually going to implement it. Yeah. But I'm thanks. I've got the tools I need now. Yeah. I would, I mean, I'm budging on your clinical tip here, <laughs> but I, I just wonder about the role of just their own subjective feelings of impairment or distress is, is really key here. Because sometimes it's just, it's absolutely fine, but it's caused a lot of angst in the family or, you know, but the kid themselves or the teenagers, they're, they're actually not too bad in, in sometimes. Yeah. You know, so that that can be a mediating factor, I think, in your approach to it. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where we got to a little into a little bit with Margot is that there can be this dynamic with the parent wanting mm. it to f the adolescent mm. sleep to fit a certain pattern, and the adolescent yeah. to approach it in a certain yeah. way based on the parent's own beliefs about sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where the education piece comes in. So if both parties can get that education and then confidently leave the adolescent to manage it, I think that's a good place to start. So Moira, what's your pick of the month? Well, it was a paper that was just published um, late last year, just before Christmas, in the Journal of Sleep Research. And it's from the, the a group at Monash University, the Turner Institute, uh, led by Professor Sean Drummond. 
And this is really great for, for us to, to actually have some data on um, the fit, Fitbits or, you know, wearables, devices, things we've talked about a, a bit over, over the years. And the conclusions, I mean, albeit it was a, a small study, the conclusions were really the overall that um, the Fitbit may track sleep time quite accurately, but it does seem to overestimate the problems. And so I think it still sits in the, well, there's more data, more, more research required. It still sits with me in the, they still, where I think they should sit is that people just put too much emphasis on what's coming from their wrist rather than what's coming from within their body or within other, other signs and symptoms. Yeah, and that was the take. So Sean was interviewed by, at least I saw the Age Online yeah. accompanying story, and that was one of his exact comments yeah. about that. Yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, exactly. Right on message. Don't focus too much on the data from the device. Yeah. You know, go with how your body feels. Yeah. In fact, I've got a quote from it, you, you know, and you've got to, I know I'm very fond of Sean. He's got this American accent, you know, you imagine him quite, and he's quite, you know, he's quite clear, very strong and succinct. And he just says, great quote, you shouldn't listen to a watch. You should listen to your body. And I think, yes, hear, hear, I said with my fists pumping in the air. <laughs> so that's my pick of the month. We'll put a link to that. <laughs> what about you? Uh, so my pick of the month, think of this as an anti-pick. So this is this is a book, and this is a book not to buy. Oh, you can't do that, can it, you? Because it drove me bananas. Is this going to? But then it's going to sort of give it publicity. That's no. okay. That's, a, that's okay. If it drives it off the shelves of bookstores, that'd be great. Also, do tell, do go on. So the book was called. You know, the title at least tells you why I thought it was so awful. The Magic of Sleep. <laughs> so it was the Magic of Sleep, uh, a bedside companion. And it was from the group that um, run the Calm app. So it was under oh, the yeah. brand of Calm. So that should be good. They're quite reputable. Very popular. Mm. Very popular. And so yeah, the maybe book, I'm book mistaking about the two. sleep mm. was essentially a collection of really 500 to 1,000 word blog posts mm. all about sleep. And it was all about, you know, this aromatherapy will help you sleep, this type of you know, pillow you should have. It was just a collection of total waffle mm. and non-evidence-based things about sleep yep. collated into a book. And yeah. it looked pretty and it was on the shelf uh, in the airport, airport bookshop and <laughs> stuff. Yeah, exactly. But that's the sort of stuff that drives me bananas because their Calm's a good brand name. It's popular. People will buy it based on yeah. that. But it doesn't what, give you much, What's in right? it is just total dross. Yeah. There is just nothing. Yeah. In what's in there, apart from motherhood and feel-good stuff. Really? Not even a bit of sort of CBTI principles? No, and, no it was no. just, you know. Just very, yeah, what kind of stuff? Can you think of what, what was the top two things you remember? Or like what sort of stuff? The warm bath or the chamomile tea? Yeah, that sort of thing. And yeah. the stuff we've talked about in other episodes, all the stuff that doesn't work, you know, the, the you've got to eat this particular fruit yeah, or you've got yeah. to do this. Truckloads of type, some kind of superfood. Type of things. Mm. Uh, anyway, so yeah. If you see the magic of sleep, a bedside <laughs> companion, and it looks really sexy on the airport bookshelf, do not buy it. So look out in upcoming episodes across this year. We're going to do one on sleep medication during pregnancy, particularly narcolepsy mm. medication, because that's something that's come up online where there's really no good resources yeah. and it's something patients ask me about a lot. A lot. Yeah. So we're going to track down who in the world to talk mm. to um, and get them on and yeah, talk about that. Yeah, maybe even a lived experience. Like There's plenty of people I have talked yep. to about that that have... Had to, they have gone off it because it hasn't. They haven't been whatever you might have told them or whatever they've read. They just weren't quite sure 
what was safe or what wasn't safe in their pregnancy. They, they, there's a couple, a couple of people I've got in mind that might be great to, to interview. All right, I'll take you up on that, Moira. I've yeah. done my background research. I've, yeah. got, I've got my targets. I know mm-hmm. who I'm going to mm-hmm. reach out great. to to interview. Well, if you need some help with that, let but me I'll, know. But I'll come back to you for the, the patient story as well. That sounds great. And there's lots of other topics that we'll cover. Sleep and pain's another one that's on our radar that we hope to get to across this year. Thank you so much for listening. Please send us any suggestions at podcast at sleephub.com.au. And review us on iTunes or subscribe to the podcast via any podcast app. Thanks a lot. Bye. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.